Back in, uh, back in August of 1991, there was a, a female rap group called Salt and Pepper, not Salt and Pepper, but Salt and Pepper. And uh, they released a song in August of 1991 called Let's Talk About Sex. And, uh, and I, when, I, when I was thinking about this message today, that song came to my mind. And I thought, that's what we want to do today. We want to talk about sex. And here's the thing about that. If, if, if most churches in this county, and maybe even most churches in America, if the pastor gets up on a Sunday morning and he says, hey, to the title of today's sermon is Let's Talk About Sex. And it's printed out in the bulletin, you know, title of today's sermon, Let's Talk About Sex. Most pastors that would do that in this area, they would have to expect a called deacons meeting that afternoon, and he would have to fight for his job. Because here, the, the thing about when it comes to sex and what we talk about it in church is that the way sex is talked about in culture outside of church and the way sex is talked about in church, is they could not be more different. And, and I'll, I'll make a, this, I know this is a generalized statement, but, but really, in, in general, in culture, sex is all that's talked about, and in church, sex is never talked about. And that's generally the way it works, is that, that when, when you get out in culture, that's all that's talked about, and, and in church, all of a sudden, we're afraid to talk about sex. But the Bible has a lot to say on it. And the Bible has a lot of stories, especially in the Old Testament, with some people pretty messed up, doing some pretty messed up sexual things, and we can see where it caused lots of problems. And, and I think one of the reasons why the, 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 the culture is so different than church is there's two, two views on sex that people tend to have a lot of times. And, and the first view is the, is the, is the view that, that people in culture outside of church tend to have, and that is the view that sex is God. People have this view outside of church that sex is God. Just think about the world that we live in. Think about media that you consume on a daily basis. We have, there's a, there's a magazine called People Magazine that every year they name the sexiest man alive. I'm still waiting on them to call me and ask me to pose for that cover, but they have not yet done that. Rolling Stone has, a, has an issue every year called the sex issue. Uh, there are whole TV shows that it seems like all that it's about is sex. I mean, even, even sex is used now to sell hamburgers. You can't watch a Hardee's. I can't watch a Hardee's commercial anymore. I have to change the channel or walk out of the room and my girls will say, Daddy, don't look at this. And they'll tell me what's coming and I'll change the channel. Because sex is being used to sell hamburgers and being used to sell cars and clothes in the culture that we live in for women. They're not used to try to cover stuff up. They're used to try to show as much as they can. So clothes aren't, uh, aren't, aren't being functional for trying to keep you warm. They're being functional to try to get some guy to notice your chest or other parts of your body. That's the culture that we live in. We live in a sex is God culture. And in the culture that we live in, sex is a God that people worship. Romans 12.1, Paul said this when he talked about worship. He said, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. See, worship is something that you do with your body, not just something you do with your heart and your mind. We, we just sang songs, and, and one, of the, one of the stupid things that we say in church all the time is we call what we just did the worship time. 
That is one way of worshiping is singing songs, but that is not the worship time. That is not the only time you worship. We worship all the time. We worship by our actions. We worship with our bodies. And see, our bodies are spiritual as well as, as physical. And, and so that, that's why in, in ancient times and in the time a lot of the New Testament was written, Paul was having to deal with this on a regular basis. They would have these pagan religions that they would use sex as an act of worship. And so you would go to the temple and they had these things called temple prostitutes and these ladies would be out there and you would go and you'd pick one up and you'd take her in the temple and you'd have sex with her as an act of worship to these pagan gods. Well, well listen to what Paul talks about when he says that when, when people in culture view sex as God, this is what he says about it, 1 Corinthians 10, 7 and 8. He says, do not be idolaters as some of them were, and he's, he's referring to an old story back in Exodus. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day, 20,000 of them died. Now, I want to be very clear on something. Sex outside of God's design, which God's design for sex is in marriage. Sex outside of God's design is idolatry. See, what you do with your body is a sacrifice. It's either a sacrifice to the glory of God or a sacrifice to a false God. You might not be aware of this, but God has created all of us as worshipers. That's the way we came into the world. We came into the world as worshipers. The question is not whether or not you worship something. The question is, what do you worship? And, and in, in the culture that we live in, many people, what they worship is sex. And so in a culture where sex is God, people, people make sacrifices. And they make sacrifices to the false god of sex. And we see that in things like, like pornography, internet pornography. Did you realize that, that the, the porn industry, that they made more money last year than the NFL, Major League Baseball, and the NBA combined? That the, that the porn industry last year made more money than NBC, ABC, and CBS combined. And that 90% of 8 to 16-year-old boys, let me say that again, 90% of 8, number 8, third grade 8, to 16-year-old boys have viewed pornography on the internet. And the average age for the first view of pornography on the internet is age 11 for a boy. So if you're wondering when to talk to your son about internet pornography, you need to start in elementary school. Because it's not waiting until they get to high school, because we live in a culture that is so sexualized and where sex is the God and it's so easy to get a hold of. The number one group of, of people that use uh, internet pornography, that view that on a regular basis, 12 to 17-year-old boys. Now, let me just stop here real quick, because I don't want you to think that this is only a guy problem. Ladies, whether you know this or not, the, the numbers over the past several years for women viewing pornography on the internet has steadily risen over the last few years. And there's something that goes on in our culture right now that I'm really disturbed by. And that is the fact that there are books, movies, and other things that are aimed at women and that are aimed at, help, at making women be sexually aroused. And the difference between those and the things that are aimed at men being sexually aroused is that women view those and they think that it's okay. Here's an example. 
Last year, there was a book that was, got all kind of press that was all over the news called Fifty Shades of Grey. Now, that is a book that was specifically written to arouse women sexually. Now, we went to the beach last year in June, and we walk out on the beach, and I sit down, and we get our umbrella out and get our chairs, and I sit down, and there's a family of people over here next to me that we don't know. Two of the, the women, one of them looked like she was probably no more than 18 or 19, they're reading Fifty Shades of Grey right out there in the open on the beach. And then later on, these other people set up, guess what? There's a woman over there, guess what she's reading? Fifty Shades of Grey. And then later on that summer, I'm looking on Facebook and I see all these women who, who, who tell me they're Christians, who I've known from college and known from today, and they're putting on their Facebook post, wow, just finished Fifty Shades of Grey, my mind is blown. Now, ladies, if your husband had walked out on the beach and he had pulled out a Hustler magazine and sat there in the beach chair and was looking at Hustler, you'd have had a fit. You'd have said, no, that's the, you can't do that out here in public. But, and you might be saying, Cliff, that's different. That's pictures and this is... Let me tell you something. Men are aroused sexually by sight. Women are aroused sexually more by their emotions. And so that book, Fifty Shades of Grey, is hustler for women. That's what that is. And, but the difference is, is that women think that it's cute that they read that. They think that it's something... There was a movie last year called Magic Mike. And I heard all these women talking, oh, I cannot believe, you know, whatever that dude's name was in it. He was so sexy and he was this, that, and the other. What if your husband came home and said, man, I just saw Jennifer Aniston in this movie and she showed her butt and it was awesome. I cannot wait to see that again. And you're putting that on Facebook. You wouldn't stand for it. But we live in a sexualized culture and ladies, the sexualized culture is starting to come after you now. It's starting to come after you. And by the way, when we get done with this message, there's some of you in here that are going to want to come up to me and say, Cliff, how do you know so much about Fifty Shades of Grey? Did you read it? No, I did not read it. If I'm walking through the yard and I see a pile of dog crap, I don't have to go step in it to know what it is, all right? So I, I've read enough about it on the internet. I've seen enough to know. I know what that book's about, and I have not read it, and I do not plan on reading it, all right? But in our sexualized culture, in our culture where sex is God, it's women, it's men, it's boys, and it's girls where that is coming, and, and it's, it's coming home to roost, and that stuff is being brought into our marriages. And, in those, and, and when you live in a culture where sex is God, sacrifices have to be made. And here's the results of the culture we live in. One in four women, one in four, 25% of all women have been sexually abused. One in six men have been sexually abused at some point in their life. That's the results of living in a sex-is-God culture. And then what happens is, is that good people who love each other, that want to try to do the best, they get married, and they carry that stuff with them into the marriage, and it damages what happens later. Now, the second, the second view of sex, which is just as ungodly as the first view, is that sex is gross. Sex is gross. The culture tells you sex is God, and oftentimes you've grown up in a church that told you sex is gross. Now, that, that was that, I don't know of any church that they set out to say, we want people to think sex is gross, but the way it's communicated, the way it's talked about, that's the message that gets sent. Some of you grew up in a church where this is what you heard about sex, and, and you heard this. It's bad, it's evil, it's gross, you don't think about it, you don't do it, you don't do any of that, you save all that gross, evil stuff for the person that you marry, and then you give them all the gross, evil stuff. 
That's what, you, you know, and it's like, woo, I can't wait to get married. It's going to be awesome. We're going to do gross stuff and it's going to be evil. I cannot wait to experience that. And that, that's, the, that's, that's just as ungodly of an attitude towards sex as saying that sex is God. And neither one of those are what, are what God says about sex. Here, here's, the, here's the attitude that we're supposed to have. This is the biblical teaching about sex. Sex is a gift. Sex is a gift. It's not God, although it can be worshipped as a false god. It's not gross, although it can be practiced in a way that's gross because it dishonors God. But sex is a gift. It's a gift that's been given to married couples by our God who is the perfect designer. Now think about this just for a minute. You believe, probably most of you in here believe that God created everything. You believe that God created man the way he wants man to be, created woman the way he wants woman to be. So if, if God is the perfect creator, if he hasn't done anything by accident, if he created a man's body to do what a man's body can do, and a woman's body to do what a woman's body can do, and he created those two bodies to work together in the way they do, don't you think that it was his idea from the beginning that sex should be something good? That sex is a gift for married men and married women to enjoy with each other. In, in the book of Genesis, if you go all the way back to the beginning, when, when God created Adam and Eve and he made everything, and there's a, there's a passage of scripture that tells us what sex was like before sin entered the world. And it says this, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So Adam's sitting there and there's this parade of animals coming by. And he's like, I don't want to have sex with that. I don't want to have sex with that. I do not want to have sex with that tiger. It would kill me. You know, and so it's going on. There's nothing, there's nothing that had been created yet that was suitable for Adam to spend time with and to, be, uh, a sex, uh, to have sex with. And so it says, then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And in this verse right here, we're going to come back to this in a minute. This is such a powerful verse. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. See, the picture of sex before sin entered the world is that God was glorified, and that men and women were satisfied. That's what God intended for sex to be. To be shared between one man and one woman who are married. And that, that, would, that they would be satisfied by what they've experienced. And that God would be glorified by what goes on. See, see, God gave sex as a gift to be practiced within the boundaries of marriage. To be practiced within the boundaries of marriage. And when I say marriage, I mean heterosexual marriage. One man, one woman. Verse 24 there in Genesis, it says that, he says that the, the, first of all, he created a man and a woman. Then he said, because of this, that man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. So there's a marriage there. They come together first. Then they become one flesh, which indicates the sexual act. It comes after marriage. Now, I'm going I'm to make a statement that, that is not popular 
within our sex as God culture that we live in. But the, the truth of what the Scripture teaches, and it's consistent from the beginning to the end of the Bible, the Scripture teaches that all sex outside of heterosexual marriage is a sin. All of it is. Outside of heterosexual marriage, sex is a sin. That means if you're having an affair with somebody because your husband's a jerk to you or your wife's cold and, and doesn't want to you know, have sex with you, but you think, well, I'm having this affair that's okay because of that, no, that's a sin. If it's homosexual, uh, sex that you're involved in, and you say, well, see, I was born this way, Cliff, I can't help it, that's a sin. If you go to Las Vegas, you think, hey, prostitution's here is legal. My wife didn't know what's going on. I'm going to pick up a prostitute because what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. I'm going to tell you, the STD you're going to pick up does not stay in Vegas. It comes home with you. That's a sin. All sex friends with benefits, all sex outside of heterosexual marriage is a sin. That's not a popular statement. But it's the consistent teaching of Scripture from beginning to end. Now, if sex is a gift, why did God give us this gift? Well, there's a couple reasons. One is, sex is a gift that's given for our pleasure. It's a gift that's given for our pleasure. I want you to know something, that sex is not just about making babies. It works for that. That's a good result of it. But that's not the only reason God gave us sex. And there, had, there were teachings throughout the history of the church where people thought the only reason God made man and woman to be able to do what they can do is so that the, the, the human race can continue. But there's a, there's a, a book of uh, uh, scripture in the Old Testament called the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon. If you've never read it, you know, go home and read it tonight right before you get in bed with your husband or your wife. And it is a whole book where it's a man and a woman, a, a husband and a wife, and they're just talking about how hot they are for each other, basically. I mean, it's not really that, but, but they're saying, you look so good, and I can't wait to get a hold of you, and all this stuff. And it's all this poetic sexual language. And you know the thing about Song of Songs that's never mentioned in the whole Song of Songs? Children. It never says, you know, your body is so great, I can't wait to, to do what we're going to do, because then we're going to have a baby nine months later. No, it's for pleasure. That God has given us the gift of sex for a man and a woman to enjoy in marriage so that you can enjoy yourself. See, if you grew up in a, in a church that taught you sex is gross, you might have felt guilty when you first got married if you enjoyed sex. I know especially some of you ladies have felt that way. That I'm not supposed to enjoy it this much. That's not a good thing because sex is gross. It's evil. No, if when you... Listen, if you really enjoy sex with your husband or your wife, you're glorifying God. God is pleased with that if you are enjoying yourself when you're doing that. So here, you know, I've been given homework every week. I'm going to give you some homework at the end. But, you know, one of, one of the things that you ought to give for homework, if you're a married couple, husband and wife, sex is given to you for pleasure, you ought to make sex your new hobby. I mean, God gave it to you for pleasure. Why would you not enjoy it as much as you can? And as often as you can, make sex your new hobby. And then if you do that, you're going to find out a couple other things. Here, here's a couple other things that are good about the gift of sex that God has given us. It's a gift given for pleasure, and it's also a gift given for protection. It's a gift given for protection. Those of you that have been married very long at all, you know that just being married does not make you immune to sexual temptation. Before I was married, when I was in college, that's what I thought. There was a couple at our school that they lived in married housing and we knew them. And I remember 
me and my buddies used to talk about him, and we used to talk about, man, he's got it made. He can just go, you know, fail a test and go home and have sex with his wife, and everything's great. You know, we just, that's the way we thought it worked. We thought that he, he never was tempted to, to look at something he shouldn't look at or to, you know, fantasize about something he shouldn't fantasize about. We thought that he had it made because he was married and that stuff went away. No, when you get married, sexual temptation does not end. And in fact, sometimes the devil will put new temptations in your path to try to ruin your marriage. And so sex is a gift given for your protection, for the protection of your marriage. I told you a while ago that, that Paul was writing to the book of, to the, to the uh, church in Corinth uh, and, and, a, and to the Corinthians there. And, and the church at Corinth, that was a church in the middle of a culture just like we live in. Corinth was a place where sex was God. And it was a place where actually pagan rituals were celebrated and there were temple prostitutes and these other things going on. And this is what Paul says to the people, to the Christians in the Corinthian church. He says this in verse 7, 2 through 5. Now get, men, I'm about to rock your, I'm about to change your life right now. If you've never read this scripture, there are, you, there are guys in here who have never memorized a verse of scripture in their life. After I read this, they're going to be committing this to memory when I finish. This is what it says. But since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. Can I hear an amen for that right there? In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Verse 5, do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer, then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Ladies, I'm sorry, but tonight before bed, your husband's probably going to say, baby, it says in 1 Corinthians 7, 5, do not deprive each other except by mutual consent. See, what Paul is saying there is, is that God has given us this gift of sex and it is to protect you in the boundaries of marriage from outside sexual temptation. That if, if you want to affair-proof your marriage, there's a lot of different things you can do, but one of the things that you can do if you want to affair-proof your marriage is that you can be sure that you are regularly enjoying sex with each other. And so if you're regularly enjoying sex with your spouse, you're not as tempted to look outside of the marriage for sex with somebody else. Now, the, the piece of homework that I would give you for this would be put in some effort. Guys, you ought to work as hard on your sexual life with your wife as you do on your golf game. Ladies, you ought to work as hard on your sexual life with your husband as you do on your scrapbooks or whatever it is else that you like to do. Put some effort into it. Put some thought into it. Put some time into it. Throw away the old Relay for Life t-shirt that you wear to bed every night. And pull something else out. Guys, shave your face before you get in bed and brush your teeth so it doesn't smell like the peanut butter you just ate before you got in bed. That's probably only my problem, but do that. But put in some effort. Because sex is a gift that's given to you as a married couple for your protection. So that your marriage can be all that it can be. And so that you can enjoy marriage the way God intended, which is between the two of you and not between 
anybody else. And the last thing, sex is a gift given for unity. It's a gift given for unity. Genesis 2.24 again said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The sexual act is, is what distinguishes marriage from all your other relationships. You can live with someone else and have a roommate and share all the expenses of a household, but if you're not married, you're not having sex with that person, at least you're not supposed to be. You can have a golfing buddy that you talk to on a regular basis and hang out, but the two of you aren't having sex together. You can be in a book club where you come together every month, ladies, and you talk about stuff and you talk about your, your feelings and everything else, but you're not having sex with each other. Sex is a gift that's been given to a man and a woman in marriage and it's to bring you together and to unify you. You share one bed, you share one house, you share one set of morals, you share one set of finances, and it brings you closer together. That's why sex outside of marriage can be so harmful. That you have made this commitment to your husband or your wife, and then you take what has been intended only for the two of you to bring the two of you together, and then you share that with someone else. And it does so much damage to your marriage. It can be overcome, but it takes a lot of hard work once you've done that. Because sex is a gift given for unity. Your homework on this step should be, if there is anybody in your life that you are tempted to break your vow of marriage and to have sex with them, if there is a temptation in any area of your life with a particular person, do whatever it takes to eliminate that. And I mean whatever it takes. If you work somewhere and there's a, a man or a woman that works with you and the two of y'all flirt and you think you're going to, you know, you know it's just a matter of time before you jump in the sack together and you share with them what you're only supposed to be sharing with your husband or wife, then quit that job. That's how vital this is. If you've got a next door neighbor that you, then move. Put the house up for sale. If you've got a Facebook friend that you went to the prom with and you think, oh, you know, she's so wonderful, he's so wonderful, delete the Facebook account. Throw your computer out in the street. Do whatever it takes. Because sex is a gift given for the two of you to be unified, and you're not supposed to share it with anybody else. When I was thinking about how to, um, how to finish up this message, I, I thought about something that over the years... Um, doing youth ministry for a long time and then now being a pastor for several years. Something that, that always seems to amaze me is that sex is an area where Christians, non-Christians especially, but even Christians, it's like we know what the Bible says. We know the Bible says sex is only to be practiced between a married man and a married woman with each other. We know that, but it's almost like we ignore what the Bible teaches about sex more than we ignore anything else. And everybody's always got a good reason for why they don't practice sex the way God has intended for it to be practiced. I thought about it when I had a conversation with a credit card lady the other day. Let me tell you this, this conversation that I had. Um, my wife and I have a credit card, and before you Dave Ramsey geeks, like, come fuss at me after the service, we only use it for emergencies. We never hold a balance over the one month to the other, all right? So, uh, but we do have this credit card for emergencies. Well, one day, uh, just a few weeks ago, I get a new credit card in the mail, 
And I knew that my old one wasn't supposed to expire for another couple of years. So I thought that was weird. So I looked at it, and it was different. This one was, one was a Visa, the other one was a MasterCard. I can't remember which one I've got now, but anyway, it was different. And so I called my bank, and I said, hey, what's going on? Why'd y'all send me a new credit card? Oh, we switched over to, you know, it was MasterCard, now it's Visa, or vice versa. So we switched it over. I said, okay, what am I supposed to do with this? Because I don't know how to activate it. You know, it doesn't have any information. It was just a card in the, you know, in an envelope. They said, oh, call this number. So they give me a 1-800 number to call. So I call, start talking to this lady, you know, and I'm talking to her, and I said, okay, what, what am I supposed to do to activate this card? She said, well, there's a sticker on the front of the card, and you just need to call that number. Well, I'm holding the card. There's no sticker on it. And I said, man, there's no sticker on this card. She said, well, if you'll just call that number that's on that sticker. I said, ma'am, there is no sticker. I'm holding the card. I am an intelligent, fairly intelligent human being. I know what a sticker looks like. There's not a sticker on this card. And so as she said, well, I can just, uh, I can just um, activate it for you now. I said, great, go ahead and do that. So we're talking about it, you know, and I said, uh, I said, how was I supposed to know, you know, if I hadn't called my bank and then they gave me the number to call you, how was I supposed to know I'd activate this card? Well, sir, that sticker on there is, I said, I'm t- there's not a sticker on this card, woman, you know. And it didn't matter what I said, she was just certain that I was wrong, that there was a sticker on the card. And it reminds me of the way we act towards what God has taught us about sex. What the scripture says is that sex is reserved for a married man and a married woman, but we want to make all these excuses, but, but you don't know my situation. You, Cliff, I understand what you say, but, but here's, here's my, my situation is different than everybody else's situation. And God, God doesn't really mean that, does he? I mean, that, the Bible was written a long time ago. He didn't know what the world was going to be like today. I mean, th- that desire is so strong. How can you expect an 18-year-old boy not to have sex until he's married? God must be crazy if he really meant that. Surely he wanted that to evolve over time, and so we can just kind of have sex whenever we want to. And we want to make up all these excuses and act like that God didn't know what he was talking about from the beginning. And then we carry all that stuff with us into marriage. And so now you're married, and as you enjoy sex with your husband or your wife, you've got seven or eight different partners that you can remember that you're having to deal with. As you're married, things start not to go the way they want to, and you start thinking, well, it'll be okay for me to hook up with this person that I work with. Because that's just kind of the way the world works. We can stay married, we can work through it, but this will be good for me to do for a little while. It doesn't mean I love them, it just means I want to have some fun for a while. And when we do that, we damage what God has intended for sex. So this is what I want us to do for your homework. The first thing that I want you to do is I want you and your your spouse to talk about it. Now, if you've never talked about your sex life before, Get ready to be uncomfortable, but it's going to be okay. Talk about it and try to get to a point of honesty where you can trust each other to say what needs to be said. If you you don't know where to start, we're selling these books out of the atrium. This book has 11 chapters. Five of the 11 chapters are about sex, and it's some pretty... It's, it's some stuff on there that's going to make your ears turn red when you read it, I'm just going to tell you. Some pretty detailed stuff, but it's good. 
And you need to talk about it. So the first thing I want you to do as, as a married couple is I want you to talk about your sex life. The second thing I want you to do is do whatever it takes to get it right. I said that a while ago, but if there's something in the way, do whatever it takes to get it right. Take the kid that's been sleeping with you since they were born. They're six years old now. Teach them to sleep in their own bed. They'll beat their head up against the wall the first night. They'll pass out and go to sleep, and then you can have sex and enjoy yourselves, all right? But do whatever it takes. Whatever you're allowing to get in the way of your sex life, do whatever it takes to get that thing right. And then the third thing, and I cannot stress this enough, enjoy yourselves. Enjoy yourselves. Understand that God designed your body and your spouse's body to work together in such a way that when you have sex, it's going to feel good. And he wants you to enjoy it. And that he's glorified when that happens. So enjoy yourselves. So here's what I want to see happen. I want next Sunday to just people be walking in with huge smiles on their faces. And I will know that you spend all week long just enjoying the daylights out of each other. And if you do that, God's glorified. Now, it's interesting, um, next week we start a new series of messages on family, and next week I'm preaching about children. So I think it's kind of funny that I'm going to preach about children the week after I preach about sex. And, uh, you know, and if some of y'all you know, end up bringing a baby into the world nine months after this week, that'll be cool too. Um, but enjoy yourselves this week. God's given you the gift of sex for your pleasure, for your unity of your marriage, and for your protection. And it is a gift. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for uh, your word and that it, it talks about subjects that are vital for us to hear about today. Thank you that you have designed us in such a way that, that we can enjoy each other. And God, I confess to you, we, we confess as a, as a church and as a society that, that oftentimes we ignore what you teach about sex. We think that we know better. Uh, we think that, that what you have taught us is old-fashioned or outdated and it's not good for us. But God, I want to acknowledge before all of these folks here and before anybody else who listens to this on a podcast that we believe that your way is best. That we believe that, that your design for a man and a woman to enjoy sex is perfect and that we want to do it the way, to enjoy it the way you have designed it. So thank you so much that you are a God who loves us, who loves us enough to give us gifts just for our pleasure, to give us gifts for our protection, to give us gifts for our unity. And I pray for each married couple in here, that their marriage would be stronger than it has ever been before. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.